Welcome to The Alex Tremble Show, where we share the strategies and secrets you need to know in order to successfully increase your influence, build strategic networks, and advance in your career. An award-winning speaker, author, and leadership coach, Alex brings executive leaders from across the world to share their inspirational stories and insights to help you become an exceptional public servant while also reaching your career goals. Without further ado, here's your host, Alex D. Tremble. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble, and thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for joining us again for another episode of The Alex Trimble Show. Thank you so much for being on this this journey with me, this learning journey with me. So I, I greatly appreciate you being here. And today, I'm telling you, you are going to be extremely happy. You're going to be enjoyed. You're going to be enthralled. You're going to be inspired. You're going to grow so much hearing from today's speaker, Dr. Jeff Abbott. Dr. Abbott is a 30-year veteran of the U.S. Coast Guard, where he has held two commands, led the Performance Excellence Program, chaired the Commandant's Innovation Council, and also, if that wasn't enough, just published a book called Unauthorized Progress, Leading from the Middle, Stories and Proven Strategies for Making Meaningful Impact. Now I'm telling you, we're gonna be discussing some really cool stuff. Everything from how to build credibility as a leader to how to and when to hide things from your senior managers, which you're gonna find that discussion very interesting, as well as, as always, networking and how to build relationships that can not only help you in your career, but help those around you be successful. So those are the big topics, those big buckets that we're going to be talking about today that I know you're going to love. But before we get started, I want to invite you to come to the alextrembleshow.com, thealextrembleshow.com, scroll all the way to the bottom and join our community. The reality is, is that over the last few months, I've received so many messages via LinkedIn and Instagram and YouTube and every other social media platform asking me to start doing these interviews live. And you know what? I'm definitely considering it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, I, I've, I've made a goal. If I can get a thousand people, a thousand new people to join this learning community, you, if you go to the alextrembleshow.com, scroll to the bottom and join our learning community, once we hit a thousand more members, we are going to start having live interviews with these senior level leaders. And what I'll do is I'll advertise that solely to the people within the community. So I'm hoping that you will not only help us reach that new thousand number, but also once we hit that thousand number that you'll join us on those live sessions. I am excited not only to, to have you join our community at the alextrimbleshow.com, but also to share everything we're going to share in this next interview. So. That's the end of my plug. <laughs> I am looking forward to jumping into this. I know you are. So without any further ado, here's Dr. Jeff Abbott. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trumbull from The Alex Trumbull Show. And I, again, we are, we are getting ready to launch into a phenomenal conversation with an even more phenomenal, a great and exceptional uh, leader uh, by many different standards. Um, if I can just really quickly just say, how are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing great, Alex. Uh, happy to be here with you and uh, looking forward to the interview and uh, being one of your many uh, uh, guests who have just you know, exemplified leadership across well, the board. 
<laughs> well, thank you. And I can actually, it's funny, if, if anyone who's also listened to the interview um, of, of Linda Singh, Dr. Linda Singh, you'll, you'll get this joke. And if you haven't listened to that interview or watched the interview, you need to go watch it. But I will say, um, should I be calling you Jeff Abbott or should I be calling you um, Dr. Abbott or should I be calling you uh, former Commander Abbott? Um, you have a lot of names. Uh, I, I, Jeff is just fine. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Well, you know, I, I intentionally bring that up because, you know, you served um, in the Coast Guard for 30, over 30 years. Um, you held two commands. You led um, the Performance Excellence Program. You chaired the Commandant's Innovation uh, Council. You have done so much within your, 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 your time on this earth. And I think many people want to know, how did you, how were you able to accomplish so much? And so I guess we'll start into that conversation by saying, you know, how did you become Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> well, good question. Um, the, the Coast Guard is a terrific organization. You know, it's, uh, I was attracted to the mission, uh, saving lives, uh, protecting the environment back in the, back in the seventies, you know, when I was in high school and, um, I've just been given a lot of opportunities, but what I've learned along the way is, um, you know, you see like when a commanding officer gets relieved, typically they get an award, a medal of some type for the work that they've done. But uh, all of us realize that it's not what you have done. It's what your, your team has done, what your team has accomplished. And, um, you know, through people and it's relationships you build and the partnerships you build with, uh, with others, you know, on your team, but also outside of your team. And that's been a key, uh, a key lesson for me is just how can we do this together? How can we better serve the American taxpayer, achieve the mission, you know, whether it's the Coast Guard or any other federal or state or, or local uh, public sector uh, organization? Well, did you have any, <clears throat> I guess, ambition to reach this goal? And, I, and I'm, I'm setting you up for another question, but, you know, did you have any ambition to reach this level of success? Well, I, when I first went to the Coast Guard Academy, I was from a lower middle income uh, family and it was a free college education. So I thought, okay, I don't know. And I was, grew up in the Midwest. I grew up, I'm a St. Louis boy. Um, so I grew up in the Midwest and uh, had seen the Atlantic Ocean, I think once, um, but uh, went to school up there and I thought, well, I, I wanted to be an engineer. I knew that and they had a good engineering program. I thought this is a free college education. I'll do the engineering program. And then after five years, I'll probably leave the Coast Guard and become a professional engineer. Uh, but when I graduated, I, I really enjoyed every assignment that I had. You know, I was on a ship for a couple of years. Uh, I worked in the Rescue Coordination Center in the Caribbean for two years. Um, the Coast Guard was generous enough to send me to MIT for engineering. I got a couple of uh, engineering graduate degrees uh, while they were in the two-year program. Um, and, um, but I didn't stay engineering my entire career. There were other opportunities. So I, I did become a commanding officer of a civil engineering unit. My background was ocean engineering. Um, so that opened up an opportunity. Uh, later on, I had uh, the opportunity to get command of the Research and Development Center in Groton, Connecticut. And I'd never done R&D before, so I was a little surprised to get that assignment. But uh, that worked out great. Um, actually, it was a time of a lot of stress because it, I was up there when a the 9-11 terrorist attacks happened. And we totally revamped our program from um, literally overnight from doing um, you know, better ways to do oil spills and do ice breaking and uh, counter narcotics operations to counterterrorism and maritime security. 
Um, that was a really busy time. And then uh, I, I really loved uh, the job that I had when I chaired the Commandant's Innovation Council because my job was to encourage people to be proactive, to take initiative, uh, and to lead really from wherever they were by influencing or initiating positive change that had meaningful impacts. Um, and so I've just enjoyed the opportunities at every level to do that and not just doing it myself, but encouraging my people, empowering the people that I work with, um, that I work for, but also that, that work for me um, to do likewise. And they seem to, and they rise to the occasion every time. It's exciting. Well, the reason why I, I wanted to ask that question is because I can tell you, I've heard many, many times from um, public servants uh, that they, they, they want to do good, that they're passionate. You and I were talking about this offline before we started about, you know, the people who are in the public sector, the public servants, they do, they do have this, this wanting, this desire to help to, for, for the better good. And, and I, but so many of them feel like there is a either or. Either I can be focused on doing the good, the good work, or I can focus on progressing in, progressing in my career. And it sounds like, and that sounds like it, you did. You have been able to do a lot of good while also um, advancing very well in your career. And so, so how did you, did you ever feel that that, that strain of, in, again, of doing good versus the um, uh, rising in your career? And how did you, how did you go over that, get over that? Um, I think it evolves over time. Uh, and I had a few jobs that, um, that gave me the confidence to take increased risk. Uh, so there were things that I believed I, I, in my heart, I knew would be good for the American taxpayer, good for the mission of the agency. Uh, but that our procedures, uh, maybe didn't quite allow, uh, that, you know, they weren't there yet. And it's, it's not so much, um, that, People don't agree with it, but they may not be ready for it, or they may be too busy to review it. So, one of the um, one of the initiatives I'll just describe briefly, if it's okay. I had command of the civil engineering unit up in Providence, Rhode Island, and so we had all the we took civil engineering responsibility for all the Coast Guard facilities in the Northeast, so from New Jersey up to the Canadian border. And one of my people was a GS-12, so mid-grade federal employee, uh, real property specialist. And he had this crazy idea um, about transferring lighthouses because we didn't have enough money to maintain the lighthouses. In the 60s and 70s, they were, they were manned, but then they were automated. And when we took the people off, things started to deteriorate, as, as you would expect. And we didn't have enough people to maintain them because the people were now reassigned to other missionaries. Mm -hmm. But, he, but uh, Ted was approached by a, a gentleman from a nonprofit, and he said, we'd like to get... Um, access to one of your lighthouses. We'd like to either purchase or be given one of your lighthouses so we can make it an educational thing for the local community college. And, uh, but Ted said, well, let me ask you a question. Why, why one? There's two in the area. And the gentleman said, well, maybe we could do that, you know. <laughs> uh, and, then he, and then, but Ted didn't stop there. He, he, he said, I've done research on your nonprofit and you guys are great in the state of Maine. You know, you've done some terrific work. Why not be a role model for other other nonprofits in the state. Why not five or 10 or 20? And, and Peter's eyes got about this big. And he said, well, <laughs> yeah, we could never afford that many, you know? And uh, he said, yeah, but I know, you know, but, but think about that. You know, you could be a role model 
and give others the same opportunity that you want. And it would benefit the state, it would benefit the Coast Guard, it would benefit the taxpayer, and so forth. And what came out of that uh, for a couple, a couple years later was proposed legislation to transfer um, up to 36 lighthouses uh, to nonprofit groups, local communities, nonprofits, but they had to meet certain guidelines. You know, they had to have a business plan on how to raise the funds to maintain the lighthouse. It wasn't just lighthouse giveaway. Um, there, you know, there had to be something that would maintain them as, as historic structures uh, and main ended up creating a lighthouse trail that people, you know, is great for tourism. Um, the Coast Guard got out from under a huge maintenance burden uh, and people can now get access to the lighthouses where when it's under federal control because of liability, we, we limited access. So that's just one example. And Ted felt empowered to do that. And he was a GS-12. He's not at the head of the organization. He's in the middle. Well, I mean, we're going we're gonna to definitely now, you hit on this topic, so I'm going to end up talking about your book, um, Unauthorized Progress. Uh, but I, I do want to say, I'm in the middle of reading um, Condoleezza Rice's book. I think it's called No Greater um, Honor. And she talks about how the confusion and the chaos that was going around um, when 9-11 happened. And I think you mentioned earlier that you were in a leadership position when that happened and you had to um, now adjust and, 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 and adapt to that. Um, how do you go about, um, you, you talked about earlier how the system wasn't ready for change and sometimes the system's not ready for change. How do you go as a, as a leader? How do you um, make change when there's so much chaos going around? Like how, how do you, Focus, how did you focus people on making good change when there's chaos everywhere? Well, one of the things that happened when 9-11 happened was um, Admiral Thad Allen, he was the vice, he's a vice admiral at the time. He's the Atlantic Area Commander. And uh, we've known each other for a number of years. He's been one of my customers. Um, and he came to me and he said, Jeff, I'm concerned that we don't know what the risk factors are in our home ports if we were to get an attack. You know, would we be prepared? Uh, would we know what to protect? You know, how do we prioritize working with people in the cities and the states, ports and others? Um, and he said, I'd like to work with your scientists and engineers and your contractors who focus on risk and my operations specialist to try to reduce, the, identify the risk, and then we can work to reduce them. Um, so one of the key takeaways for me is to work with a visionary leader. So if you know a leader, someone, it doesn't have to be your immediate boss. I mean, he was like four levels above me, um, but we had a relationship. And so that professional networking, you know, the, the good thing about the armed forces and the bad thing is that you move every two or three years. But as a result of that, you run into a lot of really excellent leaders and also some that are not so good. Um, but keep in touch with the ones that are, that are excellent. And uh, you never know when that, that connection is going to uh, to be helpful. And likewise, I, if I needed something, I could probably reach out to him and it wouldn't be his top priority, but he would consider it and he'd probably try to help me out. So I think finding visionary leaders is one way. And then just, um, you know, I got my team together at their research and development center and just said, what are our highest priorities? You know, we need to protect the ports. We need to protect um, maritime commerce. Um, we need to make people safe. How do we do that? And, uh, and we brainstormed. And one of the key takeaways for me is listen to all of your people because you never know where that really excellent nugget 
how that great idea is going to come from. Uh, man, so you you just you got me thinking about something else. That now I'm going to have to ask you a question, um, but I'm, I'm going to try really quickly ask you a question. I'm going to ask you, um, that Allen. I have a wonderful story about him that I'm happy to share with you later, and I hope to talk to talk, talk to you about that. Um, but you built a relationship with someone who was four levels higher than you. Um, I think a lot of people would be very worried or fearful or hesitant to do something like that. So I guess one, how did you, how did you go about building that relationship? If I can ask that first. Sure. Okay. So uh, in my first command, uh, at civil engineering unit Providence, uh, Captain Allen at that time was one of my customers. And I was uh, really impressed with his leadership style. In fact, uh, I invited him, uh, the officers in a unit, he called it the wardroom. It doesn't mean that you have a, an actual mess hall or wardroom, but uh, that's what they call them collectively. And we, I invited uh, Captain Allen at that time to speak to my officers about his philosophy on leadership. And we just went to a local restaurant and we had a, a two hour lunch and it was, uh, it was, it was very impressive and that kind of start, you know, and I had done some things for him. Our, our team had for customer service that he was impressed with. So that's how we started this uh, relationship. I, I love, I love what you just said. And if those who are listening right now and watching, I want to just make sure I repeat this. So you make sure you take this note. Um, there's two things I heard that were critical. One, you said that you helped him, right? He was a customer of, you, of, of yours you found ways to help him. So it wasn't like um, it was all about you. It was you trying to help someone, which helped grow and build that relationship. I love that. Um, the second thing you said was that you invited him to speak to your team. You guys went out to lunch. Um, I, I'm a huge proponent of that, actually. Um, take Getting people out of the work context, um, the, the office, I would say, is I think it's, it's helpful because I think our brains... Our brains have a context to it. Um, our, our memories have context. If I'm, if I'm always seeing someone in the quote unquote work environment, in my mind, they're classified as work. And then I leave and I never see them again, right? Um, but if I can get those people out of that environment that they're used to seeing me in into a different environment that more normally they may think, oh, this is, oh, we're at the bar. Oh, we're hanging out. We must be, we must be closer um, because we're not in this work context. It is allows them to start thinking of you away from the context that they're normally thinking of you. I, so I, I'm not sure if you intentionally did that, but that, I think that was masterful. Well, I, and I think, no, I think you're right on, uh, Alex. And what, um, when we're in the workplace, we tend to think tactically in that, you know, what we have to do today, what's, what we have to get done this week or whatever. If you go to a different setting, you can think more um, bigger picture strategically. And I mean, I still remember what he told us. And that lunch was 25 years ago. I mean, he, one, of, one of his big points is be a lifelong learner, be a continuous lifelong learner. And I, I bet you all the officers that were there that day, I bet they still remember that conversation. <laughs> Made a big impact. He, what he said to me when I, when I met him the, the first time was um, always, see your, always see your current position as a stepping stool, not as a ceiling. And because he made the example like, 
oh, people can see it as a ceiling. Like, oh, as a supervisor, I can only, as a line manager, I can only, as, a, uh, as an executive, I can only. So it's kind of a, um, a closed mindset versus saying, well, as a supervisor, I can, as an executive, I can. And, you know, just always using whatever platform you have, whatever position you have, and looking at the possibilities versus what you can't do in that situation. Yeah, that, yeah, I, yeah we're, we're on the same page. Absolutely. So one, uh, I'll give one example. In the book I write about, uh, one of the topics I talk about is we often, as, as project managers or um, leaders, we often prepare um, for worst case scenarios or what can go wrong. What we don't prepare for is what happens if we have wild success? And, I, and I've been burned by that like three times. So um, when I chaired the Commandant's Innovation Council, we had uh, we were just kicking it off and we had these annual expos and our ch senior champion was the Vice Commandant of the Coast Guard, number two person. And so we had the first one up at the Coast Guard Academy. It was a modest affair. We had 200 attendees and about 35 exhibits or booths. The next year we had it in Baltimore Inner Harbor and we had 500 people, you know, so we went, you know, it jumped quite a bit. And uh, we had 65 boots. I'm going, oh, that worked really well. Let's do that again. <laughs> so the next year, it jumped from 500 to 900 people. And we had over 100 exhibits. <laughs> the wild success I didn't plan for was the fire marshal almost shut us down because we were exceeding the hotel, the conference center's capacity. You know, and the next week, I actually got a, uh, a phone call from our international affairs office. And they said, Jeff, you really ticked off the Argentinians. I'm going, excuse me, yeah. how did I do that? They wanted to go to the Innovation Expo, but the fire marshal wouldn't let them in. <laughs> so, you know, I said, I didn't even know they were interested, you know, but, um, but anyway, so that's just, you know, so keep raising the ceiling. You need to keep doing that. And um, one example of that was I was not uh, as prepared probably as I could have been for the, how successful the book was. You know, I thought we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's tons of leadership authors out there, great, great authors. It's my first book. Nobody's heard of me. Um, and I thought, well, I want to impact the Excellence in Government Fellows Program and people in the Coast Guard, Coast Guard cadets and people in the Coast Guard. And I was able to do that. You know, within a matter of two months, I had gifted 248 books to every graduate of the Coast Guard Academy that year and to 250 Excellence in Government Fellows graduates. So I thought, well, I got to raise the bar. I have to, you know, I, I achieved that threshold. What's next? And which comes back to your point. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, wouldn't it be cool? I mean, this is audacious. You know, it's totally unrealistic. What if I were to be able to get, gift the eBooks to the graduates of every military service academy as they start their public service career, as they go into leadership roles? Um, and the partnership has 500 people graduating from the EIG Fellows Program every year. You know, if I were to gift them, in the midst of their careers, GS 14s and 15s. Um, and it looks like that's a possibility. So I'm thinking, what, what next? So now I'm looking at maybe the uh, medical and scientific community. How can we do better, get a better handle on people leading at all levels um, in this you know, pandemic, not just this pandemic, but to prepare for future pandemics as well. So, and I may be speaking to one of, the, uh, one of those agencies. Uh, it's not set in concrete yet, but we'll see. So keep raising the bar, you know, as, as you start to achieve success, keep raising the bar and say, well, what next? What else could I do? And you may be surprised. And people are willing to help you out along the way. Uh, it's just amazing how 
people will step up and say, yeah, Alex, I can help you with that. Sure. Well, now that we, we were not planning on going this route, everyone. So we're going to get back to influence networks in a second, but again, you got, you got me going. Um, I, I love what you just said. And so I, right now I'm going through the process of developing my 10 year plan. So um, a, a goals and plan a strategy to get there. And I, the first iteration, I shared it with a couple, a few close friends of mine. And they said, Alex, why are you, why are you aiming so low? In my mind, I'm like, okay, no, this, this is big. And they looked and they're like, what, what are you doing? What? And I, so, I, okay, let me try it again. And I, I raised the numbers up, you know, I think big this time. So now I'm a little, I'm a little nervous to even show people because I'm like, people are going to think I'm crazy. Right. Um, I show it to my mentor, I think uh, yesterday. And he, and the first thing he said to me, he said, what are you afraid of? He's like, these, these goals are, you can accomplish this. Why are you going to, and so my question to you is how, I think a lot of people, including myself, sometimes we, we, sometimes I think people, aren't thinking big because they are worried of failing. Um, but then also think sometimes people don't think big, but they don't know they're not thinking big. They, they think they're thinking big, like, like I was, right? So, so how do you go about thinking audaciously? Well, I learned some, when, when I had that first command, I learned some things from my people and, uh, and it was amazing. They said, you know, Jeff, I think we can do this, you know, and no, like there was a project at the Coast Guard Academy, $2 million project. Our threshold usually was $500,000. And they said, look, it's the next state over, you know, we go, you know, we can do this, you know? And I said, okay, you know, let, let's go for it. You know, keep, just keep me informed. And uh, I learned a lot about um, uh, just taking risk, you know, in, in that environment. And um, there's some things, uh, one of the things I talk about is 12 implementation strategies for leading from the middle in the book. Uh, and and they, I range them in risk. So one is become an expert in your issue. You know, we can all do that. You know, maybe we can get a senior champion, you know, developing the big picture as well as the detailed picture. Um, but there's some I call assertive strategies. And some of those you apply when, you know, you're fully confident that you can be successful, but you might not get permission to do it. So one of those is, you know, beg, you know, go ahead and proceed, keep it low profile and beg forgiveness rather than asking permission. So the, uh, the lighthouse story in Maine I told you about was one of those things. We had never transferred more than two lighthouses at one time. And if I had asked permission to do that, it never would have been approved. So Ted, I just said, Ted, work it under the radar. Let's see what happened. I got calls. I was a commander at the time. I got calls from three or four calls from the captain and hard in charge of the civil engineering program at headquarters. Jeff, what's going on up there? You know, we hear some think rumblings about lighthouses. I said, oh, we're just responding to some inquiries. If anything looks like it's going to be, um, you know, serious, we'll let you know. <laughs> so we waited until the week before Senator Snow was going to release some legislation. So, hey, this might actually happen. You know, and, we think so. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I expected to be kind of chewed out, you know, called on the carpet. But what happened um, and it really, it was Ted's vision to make this, and not my vision, but I was supporting him. Um, what happened, though, both senators found out about it, the initiative, the governor found out, the commandant, and they had a big ceremony, you know, the, the Maine Lighthouse transfer up in Maine. And the commandant flew in to the airport uh, with Senator Ted Stevens, who was the head of the Senate Appropriations Committee. I mean, and it was a win-win. You know, everybody was happy, and I never did get that phone call. So... Uh, that encouraged me to take 
some other risk, you know, but again, you want to be careful what strategies you use because there are risks, you know, and it can go, it can go badly, but you have to be smart about it. And uh, that, that's what I talk about some, some of the strategies. So, you know, you, you have a number of strategies in your book and, um, you know, again, that, that risk component, I think that, that is definitely one I think is smart. I think it's really smart um, knowing when to, sh- when to keep things under the radar, right? Um, because sometimes people think keep things on the radar that need to be out and open, you know, but sometimes it's out and open, like, no, 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 let's, let's quiet down. Let's, let's see where we get. How do you decide which method to take? Um, and then, and the question, a follow-up question would be, you know, when you're then managing up your, your leadership, um, how do you make sure that whatever you're doing is not going to piss them off? If I can use that language, I think I can use that language. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So um, it really depends on the circumstances you're dealing with. So, for example, um, and the Marines know this, military members know this. There's a um, if you're in a time critical situation and you need a decision right away uh, and you have to take action. Um, You're a platoon commander in Afghanistan mountains and the Taliban. It's not 50 people. It's 500. And you're going to be overwhelmed. Um, One of the strategies you can use. Uh, and you don't have to wait for action on this, is unless otherwise directed, I intend to do X. And you're letting your superiors know what you're planning on doing. You're not keeping them in the dark. You're letting them know the risk. Um, but also, it's time critical. You know, I, I need to do this because we're going to be overwhelmed in about the next hour and a half if we don't retreat or if we don't you know, find, find safe refuge or if we don't call on air support, whatever it might be. Um, so that is something you use unless otherwise directed when it's, when it's time critical, keep people informed, let them know, don't go behind their backs, but it just, I need to take some action. Um, the under the radar is if, um, if you know that if you ask permission, you might not, you probably would not get it. Um, but you, you and your people know that, you know, this, this is going to be a good, we're going to have a good outcome. It might not be 100% perfect. We'll learn but we'll make it better. And this is going to be good for the taxpayer. It's going to be good for, uh, good for the agency and achieves our mission. Um, so th- it really depends on the different circumstances. And, and I would, I would add that I don't think it's just for military. I mean, I mean you, you weren't saying this, right. but I want to make sure people understand that this is not just for military circumstances. This is, this is in the, in, in every office. Um, I believe and I hear, I hear all the time. Well, my supervisor wouldn't respond to me. So I can't move the project for it. They, they won't respond. I keep sending emails. They won't respond. And I was, I, I love the, uh, the, 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 the example you use. I do it all the time, unless otherwise directed <laughs> yep. on this date, I'm moving forward. So now they have an opportunity to say, Hey, look, I don't want you to do this or they let it go. And if they do let it go and they hit our, you know, they come back to you later. Well, I, I sent this. <laughs> Didn't you read it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there, there's another um, situation that happens in federal government, and that is with some of our upper middle managers um, when there's vacancies. I mean, there have been a lot of political vacancies, political appointee vacancies. I don't want to get into politics at all, but and people feel that they can't move forward. And um, my attitude has been if there's a vacuum above me, then I'm going to try to fill that vacuum with ideas. You know, but, but again, not self-serving. You know, not about, it's not about mm-hmm. Jeff. 
Mm-hmm. No, it's about the team. It's about the agency. It's about the mission. How do we achieve the mission? Because even though the politicians will change, the appointees will change, the mission pretty much stays the same. And how you know, and that's why we're established as the Coast Guard or as another agency uh, is to achieve that mission. And again, I don't want to overemphasize um, the stories being um, public service, but that's just been my experience. So that's where the stories come from. But I think these principles really can apply to just about anybody. Thank you for tuning in to The Alex Tremble Show. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Federal open season is over, but you can apply for WEPA life insurance year-round. WEPA has been insuring the future of federal employees for more than 75 years. WEPA can be used as a supplement or a replacement for Fegley and can cost less. Last year, members who switched saved $375 on average. Apply for WEPA Group Term Life Insurance and see how much you could save by visiting WAEPA.org today. The results are in. Research has found that networking is one of the four skills absolutely required to successfully advance in your career. However, when asked, most government employees state that they don't network because they believe that networking is for extroverts and for people who care more about their own careers than the organization's mission. But what if there was a way to ethically network without looking self-absorbed and being a super extrovert? Well, there is. Alex Tremble has created a seven-week online networking course specifically designed to give ambitious leaders like yourself the skills needed to become a strategic networker. This course uses time-tested and research-backed strategies to help you identify, build, and maintain critical relationships with influential leaders. Visit alextremble.com courses networking to learn more about his networking model today. Use the discount code PODCASTFAMILY on the checkout screen to receive a 20% discount. Don't delay. Enroll today at alextremble.com courses networking. And now back to The Alex Tremble Show with your host, Alex Tremble. What do you believe is like the biggest takeaway from your book? Because I'm planning on reading it, but I, I read an excerpt, but I wanted to just hear from you. What do you believe is the biggest takeaway from for, for anyone who may be wanting to read your, your book? Well, the reason I wrote the book was I wanted to um, inspire and motivate and encourage people to lead from wherever they are. And the biggest takeaway, I hope, is that people will realize that they can be leaders. They don't have to be in charge to be a leader. And how are they leading? They're leading by either initiating positive change, influencing positive change. We might not be able to to implement it ourselves. Most of the time we need help of others, but we might be able to influence our supervisors, influence our leadership. Um, I one time um, picked up Admiral Allen at the airport and drove him to my unit. You know, he's going to have a, a driver pick him up. I said, I'll pick him up. And I had 45 minutes alone with him. Mm-hmm. You know, it was at that time, the number three person in the Coast Guard. Uh, that mm-hmm. time was invaluable. Um, so how do, you, how do you leverage those relationships, you know? And, you know, you build relationships, and then that allows you to open doors to talk to these people, oftentimes senior leaders, but also peers and and definitely the people that work for you as well, because they've got some great ideas. My experience has been the people closest to the process or closest to the customer 
knows what the issues are. They know what the issues are. And they also have ideas on how to fix the issue, but they're not often asked. And when asked, um, it can take off. One of the things I did, I had a job as facilities engineer at one of our largest bases. And the first, and I did not feel that I, I was an ocean engineer coming into a senior civil engineering position. I didn't, I was not confident that I had all the expertise. And I went to 10 shops that worked for me. So I had a, a pipe shop, a housing maintenance shop, fire department, uh, and other um, largely blue collar shops. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, I don't know how to do your jobs, but I'm, and I'm counting on you to do it the best way you can. But what I can do is let me know what gets in your way, what prevents you from doing your best work. And I can help remove those obstacles. You know, if it's resources, if it's training, uh, if it's better relationships with the customer, you know, let me know. And then I, and then the important thing is you can't just say that. You have to walk the talk and you have to follow up. And um, my people had some really tough jobs. I mean, I remember getting up at three in the morning and they had a sewage line break in the housing for 160 housing units. And people are going to start turning on their showers at six in the morning um, and, and not, have, not have water. And it was, it was like 15 degrees outside. It was in February. And I couldn't help them solve the problem, but I went to Dunkin' Donuts and I brought coffee and I brought donuts Yeah. and they, yeah. they knew I had their back. And what I learned after that, and I was surprised, uh, the mass, command master chief, when I got transferred, he said, you know, commander, I want you to know that your group had the highest morale of anybody on the base. And I said, they got the dirtiest jobs. You know, they're dealing with high voltage electricity yeah. I and mean, they yeah. can get killed. They're in, you know, sewage station. They said, yeah, but you, but you backed them up. And, um, and it wasn't something that I thought about at the time. It just seemed like the right thing to do. If my, my gals and guys and gals are out there, I'm going to be out there with them um, when there's major consequences. Well, you know, you, you've, I felt, I've honestly lost count of how many times you've talked about relationships throughout this, this, our time together. And so um, can I just ask you this overtly, just straightforward, how important is networking um, for leaders as we move into the future. I'll just really pre quickly preface this. I'm reading this book called, um, I think it's called the, the Future is Faster Than You Think. And basically it's going through all the technologies that is, that's coming to this world. You know, this is 2020, almost 2021. And they're projecting a completely different world in 2030. Um, the world is becoming smaller. So for you as, as a leader, and then as an executive leader, how important is it for our next, this next generation of leaders to, to, to strategically network and build those relationships? It, it's, it's huge. And um, I'll just give you a non-work example. Um, I do some volunteer work for the Partnership for Public Service in professional development of uh, federal employees. And just uh, this week, in fact, just this morning, I was in communication. One of the things we'd like to do um, is we're looking at um, social injustice, and again, this is not this is for the alumni group. You know, so it's not it's not officially sanctioned, but just you know, in history and education um, in that arena. And one of the things we'd like to do uh, was ideally would have liked to have taken a tour of the National Museum for African American um, History and Culture, uh, one of the Smithsonian museums, uh, but they're closed because of COVID. Understandably so. So, mm -hmm. does that stop us? Well, you know, I thought, well, who do I need on my team? And I've got a partner, and uh, and she happens to be uh, she's a federal employee, but she's on the board for the museum. Um, and we we're talking about we don't want to just have a tour 
we want to have a discussion afterwards. What can we as civil servants do, you know, if we see some things that um, that encourage or that, that don't prevent social injustice? Um, and uh, so we said, well, you know, we need a couple of coaches to facilitate facilitate the, the discussion. And uh, so we, we asked a couple people, and that's one thing I learned when I was writing the book is the big ask. Um, you know, don't hesitate to ask people. You're learning that as well, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and both the coaches said, yeah, we can do it. We're a little busy, but we'll find a time. You know, we, we think it'd be a great discussion. And, um, and this morning, uh, one of the people, one of the coaches came back and said, well, we need to have, we need to have a, um, a host for this. Who's got, um, who's not recognized as an expert in uh, minority, um, relations and so forth. And so we're looking at uh, this gentleman uh, who is very highly regarded. And the other coach said, oh, he spoke at such and such. And there's a recording of him. If we can't get him in person, maybe we can. And he spoke to leaders in government. You know, maybe we can get the recording and maybe we can facilitate a discussion off of that. Mm -hmm. And all these people are starting. You know, and I could never do this myself. You know, I just who, who are the right people? You know, Jim Collins talks about getting the right people on the bus, you know, from good to great. And it's like, who do you want? To be on your team who do you need to network with whether it's your personal growth whether it's for your mission whether it's for um this thing for your community that you volunteer work that you just passionately believe in how do you do that so um and that's just one example but i've used it throughout my career and uh and and the thing is to make it a a win-win um when i was working on my doctorate and did some research one of the books i read talked about uh, the law of reciprocity and uh, what it is, is if you willingly give something to someone of value uh, without any expectation of receiving anything in return uh, in almost every culture in the world, you know, deep Africa, uh, Latin America, Eastern Europe, um, Native American tribes in, in the U.S., um, people will feel an obligation to return that in some measure at some future time. And that's how you build build credibility, good faith, and relationships. So to the extent that I can help people in that regard, I'm happy to do that. Um, and, and that's part of, you know, gifting the books. You know, I want, I want there to be a relationship between me and the Coast Guard in the future. Uh, so if I can do that, and if it's minimal cost, you know, to me, but value to someone else, why not? I and mean, why wouldn't we do that? So that's just some thoughts. No, those are phenomenal thoughts. And um, I, I will say, one, there, there's, a, there's a book, uh, Give and Take. I, I keep referencing that book. It's a really good book, actually. Um, and he talks about um, you can't have a, a culture of generosity um, without first having a culture where people to, are willing to ask, right? If no one asks, there's not an opportunity for people to be generous. And so I, I love what you're talking about right now in regards to um, um, being willing to make the ask. And then two... Um, in that same book, it talks about the reciprocity rings. And we don't have time to talk about that today, but everyone who's listening, I, I strongly recommend that you you look into reciprocity rings. Um, it, it's I think it's a great exercise. I do it with my clients and I think it has a, a huge impact. Um, we have, we, we're starting to wrap up on time, but I want to make sure I, to be honest, I got a call like right before this interview and, um, <laughs> and it was um, of a, a client of mine. Um, well, actually client slash friend of mine. 
And they're a, a senior leader of their organization. They report to an executive and they asked me a question, hoping that I could ask it to the person who I was interviewing. So you are that person. And so I'm going to ask it to you. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure at all. Um, the question is, and you talked about this earlier. The question is, when I know you and I have probably both heard about, don't bring me problems, bring me answers, right? Like when you're working for someone, um, you want that 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 reportee to bring you answers versus or recommendations versus problems. And I, I generally myself prescribe to to that notion. Um, However, the question that was dropped to me was, when is it appropriate, when is it okay for the reportee to say, look, I don't know the answer. Um, I'm coming to you for the answer. And, you know, is it ever, is, is that ever appropriate? And as a leader, as a senior leader, especially, um, how would you feel if your, your reportee came to you and say, look, I just don't know the answer. Um, how would how would you deal with those situations? Yeah, I, I think I would spin it a little differently um, because senior leaders are really busy. I, I mean, they're they're really busy. That they're not. It's hard for them to find the time to do that. And what I would do instead um, is I, I would say, you know, I I would be upfront. I don't know the answer to this. Can you point me some directions where I might be able to learn more? to get, you know, it, can I benchmark with another agency who maybe has been successful in this, mm -hmm. you know, has dealt with a similar problem? Uh, do you have any contacts? You know, is it, you know, can you point me in the right direction? You know, saying that I'm going to do the legwork. I'm not expecting you to do the legwork, but I don't have a broad enough network, you know, yet to know where to go. Uh, and, that, and that's one of the advantages if you do have a broad network. Um, you may know people in other federal agencies or, um, wherever in corporate America, wherever, where you might be able to get some answers. But if you don't, you know, I, I would, I would be upfront and just say, you know, Hey, that just happened. I did not into, I did not see this coming. Um, and I'm not really sure what to do. Can you point me in the right direction or maybe point me towards some options? And I think that would, I think that would sit well with the executive and shows you're willing to do the work. You're willing to take the initiative, but you know, it's beyond the scope of anything that, that I've ever done before. So I'm, I'm just in unfamiliar territory. See, I, I knew that you and I were kindred spirits for, uh, for a reason. Um, that makes 100% sense. And that's where, that's where I believe as well. Um, you also then, again, as you're doing this entire time, you're dropping these nuggets. Um, it's an opportunity to network, right? Because if you don't have that, those relationships, I, I love telling people, find excuses. Just find an excuse. So now you have an excuse, you have a challenge that you're not sure how to um, overcome. And maybe if I go reach out to other people who've dealt with this, I will be able to have those answers and those relationships. So, um, and honestly, I'll be, if I can be honest with everyone here, you know, just keep this a secret. Um, I do this even when I do know the answer sometimes. <laughs> yep. I just find a reason to go build relationships with my, my peers and counterparts. <laughs> and also, Think about that in light of the people that work for you as well. Even though you think you may know the answer or you may, um, you may have a, a good path to go, hear them out, you know, ask them for their thoughts, their ideas, and never underestimate how much you can learn from quote unquote failure. You know, failure is, is, is when you, when you stop trying, you know, and 
Um, when we don't achieve our expectations, why not? You know, what is the learning that takes place? You know, did I not reach out to enough people? Did I not anticipate what would happen as a consequence? Uh, was I not aware of the risk? You know, and one of the, um, one of the things I talk about in the book is always look, can you take your good idea and expand the benefits? You know, it helps your division. Can it help other divisions, you know, at your agency? You know, can we apply that? You know, this works in one regional office. It's a great idea. Well, let's work at all the regional offices. Um, and just, you know, how do you get maximum benefit? And the other thing I would add is um, don't listen to the people that may be naysayers, what I call challengers. Listen to them because there's some, there's something to their concern. They're concerned about something. Understand what that is. Um, hopefully, you can mitigate or minimize that. But even if you can't do that, just understanding what arguments may come back when you're trying to sell this to senior leadership, you need to be aware of that, and you'll be you'll be um, better prepared. Um, uh, so, <laughs> you make me think of these random things, but I'm not sure if you've heard or watched the the movie World War Z. Um, it was a zombie movie um, back, yeah, a few years back. It, uh, it was a good movie. Um, well, the the um, one one of the interesting thing about that that movie was I think it was Israel. Israel was the only country that was like prepared to to kind of defend against the zombies. And so the, the question became, um, why? Like, how, how are they prepared? And I said they had, I'm not sure if this is a real thing or not, but um, they had the rule of 11 or something like that, where if 10 people, if 10 people agreed with something on this board, the other person, the last person had to disagree and create a plan to, to address if things went wrong. Um, okay. So they always had someone who was a quote unquote naysayer to think about what could go wrong, how we deal with this. And it sounds like what you're talking about, you know, don't, you know, you need to have some, if someone's saying something could go wrong, don't just hush them, hear right. them out and be prepared if, if that does come up. Yeah, you need, you need to understand. And, um, and that's how you avoid groupthink as, as well, because everybody may just go along. Um, but that's not what you want. What you want is the best critical thinking. You know, what are the pros? What are all the cons? You know, brainstorm with your group. Yeah, in the, um, I just want to mention very briefly in the book, because I know we're short on time. In the book, a couple other things I talk about is um, six criteria that decision makers use to decide whether or not they're going to support a new initiative. Um, that could be valuable to some folks. I talk about 12 implementation strategies and, and when, when best to use them. Uh, not, you know, and there's different circumstances and you use them typically in combination, not just as, as just strictly one strategy. And then I also talk about uh, why things fail, you know, why, why we don't achieve success sometimes and the most common reasons for that. And the goal there is just to get people to think about, okay, have I thought about that scenario? You know, similar to your, you know, World War, you know, World War Z concept. <laughs> well, uh, do, do you, do you, the last question I'll throw at you really quickly is, um, it sounds like a lot of stuff you're talking about, all these strategies you're talking about is at the end of the day kind of influence. How do you influence those around you? Um, and so your book, I know is gonna be teaching these phenomenal skills. And would you just mind sharing maybe the most, if not the prominent, um, at least your favorite influence strategy? Um, do, you, do you have one? I know you use different influence strategies for different situations, but is there one that you kind of think about, you know, as we're sitting here right now? Yeah, 
I think it depends where you are in your career and your experience. So um, if I was a relatively um, new member on the team, I might try to find a senior champion or somebody who could, you know, maybe they're mentoring or maybe they're just advising me on pros and cons of something, you know, and it, and it, it doesn't have to be a senior leader. It may be somebody who's got 20 years experience who's a coworker of yours, but, uh, you know, leverage their expertise. Um, as you get more confident and more expertise in your job, you may try some of the uh, um, uh, more assertive strategies, you know, the, unless otherwise directed, I plan on doing this or flying under the radar. Uh, but you need to really make sure you know what you're doing there. Um, it's always good to, um, you know, really engage your stakeholders. And I would do that before you roll out the formal plan. Uh, talk to them informally, you know, get what their thoughts are. And also with senior leaders, one of the jobs I had, I was an executive assistant to an admiral. And I can't tell you, Alex, a number of times people would come to me, um, say, before we roll this out to the admiral, we know you see all his correspondence and, and mm -hmm. you know how he thinks. Mm -hmm. We're thinking about this. What, what do you think? You know, and I'll give them my honest thought. And when the admiral came, comes to me afterwards, they say, hey, Jeff, I just received this proposal. Well, yes, yeah, we talked about it. I gave him some insight. We're good to go. And that would just kind of streamline, um, you know, success, you know, implementation process. Um, I, I would, I would add on to this, that this stuff, as you said, you need to be very careful. There's definitely risk depending on what strategy you use. There's risks associated with it. Um, and I would add that you overcome or you mitigate the risk by understanding how to do it and do it better. And the only way to do that is to start practicing. Um, and so I think I tell people like, yeah, I'm now doing this at a relatively young age because I started my, my career off you know, when I was 23 years old, overseeing the executive development program for the Department of Interior. Like that made no, uh, make no sense at all. Um, but because I started off so young being in political situations and being in networking situations, I became, I definitely made mistakes, but I've learned from those mistakes and I grew, 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 and I am where I am today. Um, and the same thing for you, I would assume, is as you are growing through your career, you've tried things. Sometimes they didn't, sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't work, and then you retooled and you you got it to work better. But the thing is, you have to start. You have to try in order to know how to do them better. Yep. And, and two things every one of us can do, you know, whether you're a new employee or you've been around for a long time, is um, be proactive, you know, take take initiative. Step out there, offer your ideas, you know, make your suggestions to senior leaders. And also, and just give me just a second here. Um, oh, become the expert on your particular niche. That doesn't mean you're the expert on space flight, but on your particular niche on holding space, you know, cups on the, on the uh, spacecraft in place. You know, you be the expert so that when you get asked questions, you can answer, you can address all those questions on that specific niche. And you learn from everybody around you, too. Well, Jeff, thank you so much, so much, so much for, for spending the time you did with us today. Um, I, I would like to open it up to you and say, you know, do you have any final thoughts, ideas, strategies, anything you'd like to share with those who are listening and watching today? Um, let's see. I just, um, the book is a pretty easy read. Actually, it turned out that Admiral Thad uh, Allen, uh, after his commandant, actually wrote the forward for the book. Uh, so I was really excited by that. I was... Um, the big ask. That's I was <laughs> pleasantly surprised. Uh, I reached out to 19 thought leaders, you know, senior leaders, um, 
in government, off, leadership authors, uh, leadership development professionals. And I thought maybe I'll get 25% of them to write something because they're very busy people. All 19 of them actually wrote an endorsement, which uh, was a lesson for me. Uh, and the name of the book is Unauthorized Progress, uh, Leading from the Middle, uh, in quotes, and then just stories and proven strategies for making meaningful impacts. And um, it's got summaries. If you buy the book, uh, there's some tools that kind of summarize some of the key points we talked about today. They're like one-page sheets, which are, which are really handy for folks. But um, I'm just really privileged to be, uh, to be on your show. And uh, thank you for all the leadership that you're displaying and uh, all the great, you know, tremendous speakers that you have and, and leaders. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, from them as well. Oh man, thank you so much, Jeff. I greatly appreciate it. And everyone, again, I'm gonna I'm going to underscore this. Please, 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 go buy his book. Um, I, I I I say I said the same thing similar to when I was speaking to the deputy, former deputy director for intelligence at the CIA. You know, she spent a lot of time um, writing a book, making sure all the thoughts and strategies that were going to help people, the readers be successful, were in that book. And um, and that that's value. That's time and effort that was put into that. And so, you know, if you thought anything that Jeff said today was of value, I can promise you there's so much more value in his book. So please go buy it. Um, the, the, go buy the book. You know, it's a, it's a small investment dollar wise, but it's a huge investment in your future and those around you. So again, I want to just thank you here. Um, thank you so much for being with us today, uh, Jeff. And um, as I like to remind everyone, please don't just look back, reach back. If there is anything within this talk, um, this, 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 this discussion that you felt was valuable, please, please, please don't keep it to yourself. Find someone else to bring with you. Share this content with them. Like, share, all those buttons that you got to click to make sure people are watching it, do that. Um, <laughs> and as I end every session, be sure to stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. <laughs> Bye. See you, Jeff. Right. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Find us online at thealextrembleshow.com and be sure to share what you've learned with at least one other person today. Check back on the first and third Wednesday of each month for new episodes. Until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. <laughs>